Jeff Ogilvy survives wing foot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Jones gets his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is! Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going Inside the Ropes. G'day everybody, welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode number 22 Lovely to have you with us and lovely to be back after last week where my lawyers uh, continue to pour over uh, the contribution um, that was put forth by Mark Hayes and Mike Clayton in particular. Uh, Blakey, you weren't here. Oh, no, of course, you were here too. I, I filled in late. Yeah, that's yeah. right. You were the third banana. Yes. So, so you might be part I, I was pretty impressed with Hazy. I thought he sort of handled it fairly comfortably. I think... I think Clates is the only one who might be safe here uh, from any legal mm. action that might um, emanate from that episode last week, Hazy. Well, I don't think he's safe from the uh, from the telex people. I think <laughs> I think his um, his racy telexes have gone viral. So I don't know whether the people of uh, the Corumban Valley uh, were all that um, all that enamoured with your characterisation of their beautiful part of the world <laughs> alongside Guantanamo Bay. I think they'd like to think that the Corumban Valley is a little bit more welcoming than that part of Cuba. Uh, yeah, no, that's probably a fair <laughs> criticism. I was more referring to your stance on a few political matters than rather yeah. than the beautiful Gold Coast. But no, you handled it beautifully. Did you, uh, Andrew? Did you get any uh, golfing up at uh, no, up in Queensland? No, I left the. It was family time, Blakey. So yeah. I left the clubs, much to my chagrin, uh, in the. Garage at home. I was. Um, I have played a bit up on the Gold Coast in the past, and there's some uh, fun golf to be played up there. But no, I left the um, mm. yeah, no, I left the golf clubs behind, sadly, mm. which was hard to do. But we're going to make up for that this week, are we not? Hey, no, you've been playing a bit of golf this week. I have. I've been uh, very fortunate to uh, team up with all my old Bendigo mates from my days at Bendigo Advertiser, uh, and we've up to our nineteenth year, I think it was, of the Murray Masters. And we all thought we were brilliant when we first came up with that idea. And we go up to play the Murray Masters along the river now. There are approximately 13 Murray Masters on any given week. <laughs> we started didn't, the... didn't patent the idea. No, we should have. And uh... The website would have been gold. We could have... We could have uh, you have know, you got your own website? We started it, but, uh... but we didn't go on with it. It was much more clunky in the days when we first um, did it. But we've got beautiful historical efforts by my mate Mark Fitzpatrick. It's all recorded, but we haven't got a website. We should have done it. We would have been rich. Thebluejacket.com.au, Blakey. Been going since yes. 1987. <laughs> yes. Clates has actually played in it. Clates has won he? it. Clates, but we had a we had a version. Been going for 30, whatever it is. I now. think Hazy and I are still waiting for invites there. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. <laughs> the, the, the winner, the holder of the jacket, which is an actual blue jacket, uh, under the bylaws, can invite two new guests um, once he's the winner. So mm. when, when and if I ever win it, Again, <laughs> consider yourselves invited, okay? How many times I, have you won it? Five. Holy Five-time winner. I have a uh, social golf day called The Bucket that I'm involved in, right. and it's a, a, a kind of a, a small bucket sort of attached to a piece of wood <laughs> that someone found in a shed, and they made it into a trophy, and the, 
the names, which fortunately includes my name once from 13th Beach a few years ago, uh, the names are handwritten on there. It's that great? <laughs> it's very it's good. And it does have a jacket, as most of these things do. Yeah. There's some sort of old check jacket that someone found in a, shop a cupboard somewhere. Yep, so, yep. Ours has got the old Crown Lager golf social jacket, mustard colour. Looks like some clue out of Cluedo. Uh, you put it on. It could act as a spinnaker. Um, but the best one I've seen in terms of trophies, another Murray Masters. My, my mates play for this uh, trophy called the Burgundy Horns. <laughs> and it looks like an old Freddie Flintstone sort of lodge-style bit of work they put on their head at the end of it. And if you're carrying the Burgundy Horns, you don't buy a drink, but you get a lot of abuse. See, that's what it's all about. Everybody will have, everybody listening to this will, I reckon, have a history of playing in one of these, their mates, it's a, yeah. anywhere between six to, we've had 20, up over 20 people playing our jacket on occasions through in the glory years, but yeah. um, we should get people to send in their little stories about oh, Absolutely. You know? Get it on inside the underscore ropes on Twitter. We'd love to get it out there. Yeah. I saw some, you know what, Andy, for the first time, and I think it was absolutely fantastic, and it's right in our wheelhouse here, there are a couple of girls' golf trips up there. Fantastic. It was really mm. good. And we, we base ourselves in and around Yarrawonga as a rule now. Um, and it's a thriving golfing community uh, on the on the river there, yeah. on the lake, I should say, at Mulwala. And how's your and state golf. of health at the end of that few days, Hazy? What, uh, what, were you in ship-shape condition? <laughs> I think it's safe to say that I might have put on a couple of kegs and the liver might be hanging by a thread. <laughs> as is generally the case. But, yeah, great to see. Seriously, no, that a is whole awesome. bunch of girls up that's there great. doing it. And, obviously, you know, get away from the boys, and that's a good result too. Yeah, no, that's great, and there should be more of it. I wonder whether Tiger will be um, – this where he will be consigned – to winning events in the future, whether he's ever going to get himself back. We've seen continued offerings, and I know Mark Steinberg, the PR machine and the great protector of uh, everything to do with Tiger Woods, has come out and said that he's been cleared medically to start you know, swinging the club you know, at full tilt now. And Unrestricted golf, I there think you go. the expression. Think, there you go. Yeah. And we saw the vision, didn't we, of um, Tiger hitting a driver, which I still don't reckon it was 100%. No. You know, he wasn't really extending himself, but he's clearly believing that where he's at now is a vast improvement on where he was maybe this time last year and that a comeback to the PJ Tour seems more likely now than less likely, I would have thought. Is that your reading of it? Well, I had a crack at him last week because uh, that was before he put the driver swing up on uh, on his Twitter handle. Uh, you know, I just thought he was sort of teasing us a bit. You know, I thought maybe it was for sponsors. I think you agreed with that, Hazy. But now it's changed a bit because they've come out and said that he's, he's clear to practice so I don't know it's uh look I think it's a long way off before he's you know playing tournaments week after week but you know it's it's got to be good for the game if he can if he can come back uh I'd love love to see him come back and if he wants to come back yeah I'd love to see him do it I did have a sneaky read of a story on Golf Digest before we came on air and it was speculating about when it could be and every every date basically from pardon me from Next week, right through up until Masters, the conceivable comebacks. I think they had pegged the um, Riviera Country Club tournament. They said Torrey Pines was a possibility, most likely Riviera, or maybe the Masters. And the other one in the betting and in inverted commas, Craig, was um, <laughs> Bay Hill. Realistically, I think what what it means is that he can practice, you know, unrestricted golf, he can practice and maybe get himself sort of back into some sort of tournament shape. I mean, he's got his own tournament uh, at the end of November, Mm. which is a 20-player field. Um, You know, that's a four-round event. So, 
Uh, maybe he could that have a go, think, but, soon, but I'd yeah. say it's probably too soon. Yeah. I think that field's actually set. So I, you know, unless someone, I mean, obviously the sponsors would like him to play. I so. think they'd find a way. It's interesting, probably, Andy. Yeah. At the President's Cup, I wasn't lucky enough to go, but I read a lot of stuff like he was one of the assistant captains there, and apparently the crowd response to him was fantastic, and he was quite moved by it. And they're all sort of, "Yeah, Tiger, we want to see you back," that kind of thing. And maybe it sort of got to him a little bit because, uh, you know, about 12 months ago I read a really long uh, feature article on Tiger where the journal had sort of gone to a lot of, uh, you know, private sources and stuff like that. It basically said that he'd told, Tiger had told a few people close to him that he he was happy with his career and he was happy to move on with other things. When I read that I was sort of heartwarmed because I thought, well, he's done everything. He doesn't really need to prove anything else. But here he is now and it looks like he's going to, have another crack. I'm just not sure that the back injury and the four surgeries and you know he's had a disc removed now. I'm just not sure whether it's going to work for him, to be honest. But I've got my doubts, but I'd love to see it. What's Is there a downside? Is there a downside to him? And I like your point. I like the fact that we'd like to think, given what he has meant to the game of golf and the travails that he's gone through, I think we as lovers of sport um, and human beings would like to see him find... Yeah. Peace after golf. You know, he's yeah. obviously lived an extraordinary life from a young age. He's been in this bubble and no one who – we haven't walked a mile in his shoes, so we don't know what it's ever been like to be Tiger Woods. But I don't know that it's been an easy existence for all of his greatness. I think away from golf, there's been – I get the feeling reading books about him and the long reads. Trying to shut the world out. There's been a bit of that. He doesn't – he's never really connected. Doesn't trust people? No. Can't no. trust people? All of that, yeah. yeah. And and hearing what you said mm. maybe gave an indication that he's found something a bit bigger or div- or outside golf that is giving a bit of meaning. Now, he's always going to be connected to the game, but it's always been through playing. So um, I wonder – if that if that is the case, that still exists. I would imagine, irrespective of him, you know, coming back trying to compete. I mean, he's a competitive beast, mm. and once that's in your system at that level, I think that's probably a really hard thing to let go. Is there a downside to him coming back? Well, I don't think he can win again on tour. You've said that, yeah. You've yeah, said I that for a while. I definitely don't think he can win. Hasn't won a tournament for four years. Yeah, no, it's a big stretch, and the world, mm. in so many ways, has gone past him with the big hitters. I don't think it would diminish. Firstly, sorry, I think he wouldn't come back if he if he didn't think he could win, because I don't think he's coming back to pick up fourteen thousand dollar checks yeah, here yeah. and there. Yeah. So that's that is I'll I'll seed him that. Uh, I don't think his game would, uh, or his demeanor or his his legend, whatever he is in law, would diminish if he couldn't win again. I, he's already done enough. Uh, I think everyone can, putting aside these personal issues, he can put aside. Uh, they they can compartmentalise the pre-back fusion era and the post-back yep. fusion era. So I don't think he's going to tarnish his golfing reputation. I, I think that's almost set in stone. Everything here would just be cream after that. What about the fact if he if it was sad, if if he if he miscut 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 couldn't compete, and would that be sad to see? Yes, I think it would be. Do you remember when he had the putt- the chipping yips? It was horrible. Yeah, well, oh, that's right. Yeah, it was awful yeah, to watch. I don't think watch. he'd subject himself to that for too long. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think? Do you get the just before you get off him? Do you get the sense that the golf audience, global golf audience, wants to see this happen? They want to see. They want to see him stick his toe in the water one more time. 
I do a lot of radio interviews in my role, Andy, and invariably I get asked about Tiger, and it's not from golfing people per se, it's from sporting channels, and they ask me about Tiger. It just, to me, a disproportionate number of times, because I think he still moves that sporting needle. So the answer to your question then is yes. No doubt. Uh, You know, whether he's still clearly the most known name in modern golf to people who don't follow the game. So, I mean, I think it would be beneficial for the sport itself to have him back in and around for a little while, even though I don't think he'll actually, uh, you know, win an event. It's been a long time, Andy. Four years since he won a tournament, Mm. nine years since he won a major. He's 41 years of age. Looked up his world golf ranking this week, just for for the hell of it, 1,164. So if he came back, I mean, if you just project forward for a moment, Hazy, if Tiger came back, say, and won a, let's say he won a major, this would be the greatest comeback in, in anything, any sport ever, because golf's had a few of these. Ben Hogan had a bad car accident in 1949 and came back and won a string of majors afterwards, including the, the US Open in How the next year. How long after the car accident was that? Well, the US Open was only a few months later. Okay, right. And he, yeah. and he had two, you know, two breaks of his pelvis and broken ribs and all sorts of stuff going on. So it came back and won the Open at Merion, which is where the famous photo that's up on my office wall uh, comes from. But uh, this would be, it would be incredible. But I, I doubt that it can happen, but I'd love to see him have a crack if he wants to. Nine years. Nine years. Stop and just Two, think about 2008 that. 2008 US Open. How quickly has that gone? Mm. Mm. And how much, how much has the landscape of golf moved, um, you know, since... That point in time. So many things have changed. Gee whiz, yeah. Um, okay, we'll, we'll watch this space. If you've got a view on it, feel free to let us know via the, um, via the Twitter handle at inside the underscore ropes. I'll tell you, is it, has anyone seen enough of Tyrrell Hatton in the last, you know, sort of 18 months, particularly the last couple of weeks where he's been, you know, white hot? We see this a bit, particularly in the Europe. Alex Noren did it a year ago, yeah. and now Tyrrell Hatton's last four weeks have been extraordinary. Um, T3, T8, 1-1. I mean, he's, he's on a tear. He's now up to 17 in the world, you know, on the official world golf rankings, having started at 29 two weeks ago before St Andrews. Has anyone seen enough in this bloke to suggest that he might be able to stick his nose in the frame from a major championship perspective? Yeah, I, I do think he, he is. He's, he's a bit streaky. That's, that's what it mm. looks like. But he's only 26. What gets me about him, and I've always felt that with God, I don't know another game other than golf, where people can get on a tear. And, and it's the same at all levels of the game. We've all felt it ourselves, where you, ha- you have a period where you, you're hot and then, it, then you <laughs> lose whatever it is. You, you find something. And it's the same with pros. And Tyrrell Hatton is just unbeatable at the moment. Yeah. If he teed it up in a, ma- a major this week, he'd be one of the favourites, wouldn't yeah. he? Oh, I would have but, thought so, yeah. And he, he played in all four majors this year. He missed cutting all the four. <laughs> so you, you work it yeah. out. So clearly the high end of his game is extremely good. And uh, he's going to be a you know a force, but he has to hold what he's got now. I, I'll take on board everything Blakey just said, but offer up the the Norin factor where I reckon a lot of blokes are cooked at this time of year. Right. I reckon that at come the end of PGA, uh, maybe the FedEx Cup. I know there's a lot of guys warming up to Dubai still, and it's, it's still it's pretty a big keen deal. on that. Yeah, yeah. But I think that uh, you know the heat's out of a lot of these tournaments. Oh, I know that's sort of probably harsh on Tyrrell Hatton because clearly he's a good player. Mm. And there's been some unbelievable scores, historical scores in the last few weeks around these courses. Um, but he's got to do it somewhere where there's a bigger, harder field for it's me. It's a very good point. You watch, um, for example, 
uh, at the in you know, Milan last week. You watch the way Sergio kind of was carrying himself around the court. Now his world's changed dramatically in the last six months. You know, since the win at Augusta, and he gets married, married. and he's going to have a baby, and all. So his world, he's got a much broader and more contented worldview now than he than he would have had a year ago. But you watch him in Italy last week, and he wasn't wound up at full. No. He wasn't at full operating potential in terms of just game mode. You know, he was there to play as well as he could play, but you could just tell watching him, sort of just conversing with his fellow players and yeah. the gallery that he wasn't he wasn't in the absolute zone and even though it's a mega million euro mm. tournament I reckon the only one who looked wound up to me was Molinari yeah it meant a lot to him in his, yeah. in his home Italian Italian Open. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I, I agree Andy I just think they look at it I mean, they're trying especially the last you know they're all trying it's a big prize but I just don't think the heat is right in that field uh, there's something about there's something about Tyrrell just last word on him other than the fact that he looks he's a dead set Spitting image of Bryce Gibbs. It could be Bryce Gibbs' <laughs> pudgy, a shorter brother. But uh, I like the way he wears his heart on his sleeve. There's too much of this coached out of golfers. Get behind the glasses. Don't show emotion. Hold it in. Don't let it out. He gets filthy. You feel like he's going to gouge greens when he misses a six-footer. He gets. He swears all the time. Like There's that many times the broadcasters commentators on the broadcast have to apologise for Tyrrell Hatton language, which doesn't offend me, but I can understand why it, why it might offend others. Um, but I like the fact that he's a bit fiery. It's, a, well, it's, it's funny good. you talk about that because, uh, you know, the two you, the two people we've spoken mostly about so far, Tiger was like that. Yeah. Very demonstrative, you know, passionate, filthy with himself or elated all in the same breath. You can see it. You're living it. And I think it's really attractive to viewers. I, I mean, apologies again for you if you've got sensitive ears. Yeah. But, you know, it's so much better to see that rather than someone have an albatross and just slightly doff their cap. It's That's, well, that's it's, terrible. It's an interesting point that you make because at team events such as, for example, Ryder Cup, President's Cup, they tend to let it come out yeah. much more so than they do in the week-to-week stroke play events. But I'll give you Jeff Ogilvie as an example of this. Um, you know, in his earlier career, he had a reputation as being a bit of a, a firebrand, and he intentionally sort of put it away. Mm. And if you watch Jeff now, you'd think that he, uh, he he almost looks like he doesn't care, but clearly underneath there's a volcano there, and he <laughs> gets very angry with himself when he... But he, he's put it away, and he found he found a long time ago that it worked better for him. And even in other sports, like Roger Federer, for instance, people don't believe this, but he was a racket thrower and smasher oh, when absolutely. he was a young player. Yeah. And he put it away, and he played better because of it. And a lot of golfers are like that. So, uh, you know, it's just a matter of finding middle ground, I whatever, guess. And, whatever, and we, do, we yeah. do celebrate the guys that, you know, we, we do. We enjoy those guys that put it out there. And Pat Perez, who won the yes. PGA Tour event in Asia last <laughs> week, Andy, is, is exactly the same. They, can't, they can't, the, the guys with the boom mics can't get too close with him <laughs> on the course because, well, he, you know, he lets fly all the time. What about, well, we should mention, just while you brought that up, and there's just a couple of other bits from Italy that I do want to mention okay. before we get off it, but um, Cam- Cameron Smith shoots 264s in between a couple of rounds in the set. But you know, he's he's very. I mean, he's already won on the PGA Tour. We we know that. But he's the next five years for this young man, and yeah, then probably the five years beyond that. But we're we're looking for you know the the ones that are ready to make yep. a mark. You know, kind of now, he just seems tailor made, doesn't he, to the sort of golf that gets played. And I appreciate this wasn't in the states, but. 
he, he seems tailor-made to the sort of golf that is required to win on a PGA Tour. And I'll tell you exactly why, because he's the best player around the greens that we've sent away, we've sent away like we've picked the team, but he's the best young Australian short game exponent, which is exactly what we just bemoaned the international team not having in the President's Cup a yep. couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's not going to be knocking on the door every week. He's going to have hot and cold stretches, but he's got the short game to win when he does get up there. Yeah. This is Cameron Smith. He's a beauty. Yeah. He's I'll, a- I'll never forget the, the last day of the Emirates Australian Open last year at Royal Sydney when he made that charge. And he ended up getting into a uh, a playoff and Spieth, of course, knocks the birdie in on the first playoff hole to beat him. But uh, Cameron Smith, I was just watching that and I was following him out on the course and I thought this could be the day that this guy emerges like people people in Australia a lot of people haven't really recognized him because he's a long way away he's very quiet in terms of media mm. uh look he's going to be going to be really good he's only mid 20s hazy yeah 23 yeah AO radio's coming up in a few weeks when the Australian opens can't wait is he I'm not talking to you now hazy yes. about the bloke who's the third member of our podcast today <laughs> Is he just going to have the pick of whatever group he wants again? Uh, no, we, Blakey is has to undergo a fitness test every day. Uh, if there's any any holes that have slight inclinations, he's to be banned from them. There he's are going a few to have undulations at the Oz. There are. He's going to have Araldite on his microphone so that nothing off. falls off. He's got a very strict contract this year, Blakey. I, I, right. I'm still I'm still getting over that. The, the, the uh, listeners don't understand. I tend to dominate the uh, uh, the, the selection of uh, uh, groups to follow. And a couple of you know, two two years ago, I picked Scotty on the last day because I thought Scotty was going to make a big run. I followed him all day, and he did nothing. And Spieth just ran, ran everyone over, and I was just in the back blocks. So I'm still getting over that. I should have just swapped over. If I was Andy, if it was Andy Hazy, uh, Andy would just walk over and do it anyway. He, he'd just barge in on you. But if we have, if we, we could have, Jim, oh, you did that once. We could have Jim Nance. Uh, who yeah. are some luminary oh, golf? Kenny Venturi. Kenny Venturi. Yeah, yeah, all, we, have there, yeah. all the guys from yeah. the BBC that we all know and love, yeah. Renton Laidlaw, etc. We could have all them on the AA radio team. <laughs> and if we had McElroy, Norman, and Nicholas, Blakey's got it. I've got those three guys, so I'll see you later. Bruce, see you in six Bruce hours. Critchley, yeah. you just bolt, you go and watch. Hey, um, Greg Chalmers is about to join us, so uh, there's a whole, a whole lot of other stuff we need to talk about, which we'll get to after Greg. Uh, and we're going to bring you up to date with um, what's happening with Golf Month when Danny Barron joins us on the show. But did you see um, Grayson Murray, Blakey, chuck the club? Uh, Grayson Murray's a bit of a favourite of ours here for um, the wrong reasons. But did you see him chuck the club in the I, third round? And I didn't. You know, he's chucked his club into the water. and the, Was it the club or, club or ball? Oh, now I'm getting confused. But he's drawn a bit of the ire of a few people mm. for his on-course behaviour and... Um, you look at the social media comments after that. There's a bit of the time for the PJ Tour to do something about this guy. You know, his comment, some of his comments in the past have not necessarily brought the best yeah. of lights on the PJ Tour, and some of his on-course behaviour leaves a little bit to be desired. He's not my favourite player. We've talked about him in the past, but pretty disappointing to see him down the bottom behind so many Asian Tour players, <laughs> Andy. I was really upset. I thought you mentioned that. What a, I mean, seriously. Yeah, I mean, well, I'll give him his due. It was good that he bothered to, to leave the states. Oh, no, I mean, well, that, that. no, that was a positive. I yeah. mean, if you're looking to salvage something from the controversy, whatever, however big that controversy is, uh, the fact that he was prepared to get on a plane yeah. 
uh, and actually find out that he did have a passport. That is a positive. It was a positive. Yeah. Uh, that he also found out that, you know what, golf's not a new sport in Asia and we can actually kick their asses, then that was a very bonus lesson for everyone else involved. Indeed it was. Uh, we're going to continue our road to the open after this short break. G'day, I'm my golf ambassador, Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for my golf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment. And just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. Hi, this is Aaron Price, and October is Golf Month. Golf Month is the perfect time to share with your family and friends. So get out there this October and have a go. Time to get back on the road to the Open, which has been a fantastic part of Inside the Ropes for the last six or seven weeks, catching up with our former winners, past champions of the Emirates Australian Open. Um, and we've got a man on the line who's done it more than once and hoping to make it a third. One of my favourites, Andy. Well, he's a magnificent player. and His contribution to the game of golf here in Australia and around the world needs not much introduction. Greg Chalmers is the man we're talking about, and he's been good enough to join us. Greg, thanks so much for your time. No worries, mate. How you guys doing? We're going okay. Um, we're going okay. It's great now. It, when when you've won two of these things, uh, 98 and 2011, if I ask you, is one more special to you than the other? Is that like asking a parent to tell us which child they love the best? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, uh, I'll tell you what, my favourite part about winning it again, and I was just telling this story the other day, when I uh, when I won the first time in '98, you, you had to buy the trophy, and it was uh, ten thousand dollars. So I couldn't, I just couldn't get my head around that. So I paid three thousand dollars for a one third replica, and so now they changed the rules. And that one third replica, honestly, it looks like a coffee cup. So they, they changed the rules, and now you get the the eighty percent replica for free. You right, Trevor heard and came in, and he changed that. So I, I was like, oh, that's fantastic. I finally got a decent-sized trophy, and I got both names on there. So if I had to pick one, the second one was a, was that, just for that reason. But hang on, hang fantastic. on. You have to buy the trophy. You did back in the first time I won, yeah. And I think the British Open even had, the Open Championship even had that, that rule in up until, or I, I might be wrong, but I know my my 98 when I won it, we, it was $10,000 for an 80% replica of the trophy, and I paid 3000 for a 30% replica. <laughs> That's extraordinary stuff. Oh, I apologise on behalf Knock of the HGU <laughs> stroke GA. And they're still sort of trying to pay uh, Hazy's salary, uh, Snake. I think that that's sort yeah, of changed things a, a bit. It was a, yeah, it was a funny one because um, what happened was I sent it straight. I got this replica, this 30% trophy, and I sent it straight to my golf club, uh, Royal Fremantle, and I said, look, you guys just put this in the trophy cabinet. I'd never seen it. I was playing Europe. And uh, I said, just, you know, you could, you know, take a look at it and leave it in the cabinet and I'll get it. Well, I kind of just left it there for, for years until I got to America. And then my wife said, you know, I'd like to, we'd like to have that. You know, can you get it when you go back to Perth? And I'm like, well, how am I going to get this home? You know, where am I going to put it? And I went and picked it up and I rang her and I said, yeah, we've got no problem. I'll put it in my backpack. It's like the size of a coffee cup. And I'm like, all right, there was no problem. So if we go back to 98, Hazy and I were having a chat about this before we started doing the podcast today. You beat two, in your two years that you've won it, you beat 
two super fields. And, and we'll talk about 2011 after 98. But 98, there were some high-quality players at the top of their game you know, in the field that year. Um, you, you beat Appleby eventually by a shot. But I just had a look at the scores um, that were posted that year. And I think it was something like um, amongst the top 10 that year, only three rounds were sub-70. Well, can you remember, was the course playing particularly tough that year? Royal Adelaide, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Royal Adelaide, it was, um, it was, it was really brutal. Uh, Mike Clayton, I think, said at the start of the week, he said even par it would be a hold the trophy at the end of the week. Um, and he saw me, I don't know when he saw me, but I remember him saying to me, I told you, you know, because that's what I shot. And, and look, yeah, the rough was uh, extremely difficult and, and really, really penal if you hit it offline and the greens were firm. Um, it was uh, Royal Adelaide as it can be if it's set up, um, if they have the right weather and can set it up like that. Uh, it's it's really quite a, quite a joy to play. And I, I like that style of golf. I like when par matters. Um, and I got away to a great start on the last day. I think I was three under through six for the day and kind of hung on there the rest of the way, kind of keeping Peter Senior and uh, Stuart Appleby at bay. So um, it was... Uh, it was really cool. I think I'm the um, the only guy. I think I've won the Australian Open the two times the President's Cup's been the week after. So look out next year or whenever they come back down. I'll be <laughs> Omen. I love that. Obviously, get in, get in, get in early. Get the good odds if you can. That is brilliant advice, mate. I was actually going back through a few weeks ago, and speaking of that, because um, not everyone would know that you've actually done really really well over an extended period of time at this event i mean mm. you, we don't consider you a you know a grizzly old veteran like, like some others we might have chatted to with no offense to any names in particular but the last three years you, you still you, you were still fourth in 2014 you obviously won in 2011 but you finished tied 12th in 1994 as an amateur it's an incredibly consistent run over such a long period of time how, how have you managed that is it just a passion you have for the tournament or is it just you know something that uh, you know, brings the best out of you with the national championship set up? Uh, it's a bit of, yeah, a little bit of everything, I think. Uh, I've been blessed. I think you're, if you look at the guys that play overseas all year um, against, you know, really difficult competition and on really difficult course setups, quite often they're the most successful when they get home to Australia because the courses, uh, even though it's the Australian Open, you know, the pins aren't four or three from the edge. They're five or six. And, um, and the competition isn't as difficult as the PGA Tour, even though it is it is very good. So you, you get a, a a nice boost of confidence knowing that uh, I think I can beat some of these guys. Um, I, and I've just been very it's been like a pain oh, because I'm I'm not I'm not putting a lot of pressure on myself. And I think sometimes when you're really successful in golf or want to be really successful in golf, you have to play with the right amount of don't care. And in Australia, it's not that I don't care, it's just that I know, hey, look, success is a bonus. I don't I don't live and die by when I'm playing Australia, but I do over here um, and so in the States. So I have, a, I have a good amount of just relaxed don't care when I play down there. And so that, that has helped me perform well. Greg, how was the uh, don't care factor as you came up the 18th at Royal Adelaide that first time? Because you, you were a much younger player back then, 1998. Uh, did you have a, a good lead? Because you only won by a shot, so I presume you're in the last group. Yeah, yeah I was. Uh, no, I wasn't actually. Stewie uh, was in the last group behind me. I was playing with Peter Senior, 
um, and I hit it in the right bunker, pot bunker off the tee. I think I, yeah, I think that's where I hit it. And then I hit, I definitely hit in the right greenside tra- trap, and then rolled, hit it out uh, to about 20 feet, and rolled that four foot by like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> managed to make that one, and that made I made bogey, which meant Stewie had about 15 feet for birdie on the last to tie me. Um, and and he didn't make it. And I don't know if you remember that was it was an emotional sort of deal. I remember in my speech I said I felt like a villain today because it was one of Stewie's first events, certainly his first event in Australia, I think, since Renee, his wife, had passed. Yeah. Um, and so that was it was sort of a, a love hate deal for me. I, I I felt you know you you want to win obviously, but I felt bad because everyone was rooting so bad for him to be successful that week. You know, so um, but it was. Uh, it was still cool to, to get it done at you know twenty five I was or twenty six. So and when you look really back nice. at when you look back at that, uh, probably you haven't looked back at the leaderboard too often, I wouldn't imagine. But when you think back to it, and you you know you've got the better of couples and Feldo and Norman and uh, you know the world's elite players were there. Does that make that added special moment to only, it? I only turned pro three years before that too, Greg. Yeah, that's right, and, and I don't. Um, you know who you beat matters, and and mm. I always I'm always amazed by golf. Sometimes um, with the you can like Greg Norman was my hero, and I remember the first time he won the Australian. Oh, I don't remember. I remember reading he won in '74. Um, I believe it was his first tournament ever, and that he won was 1974. I'd be in Australian Open. I can't remember, but basically what what I'm saying is that here I am at 25 competing against him. I was one when he did that, and here I am, 25 years later, beating him to win the Australian Open. So <laughs> that's you know the, the next person to be compete against Jordan Spieth could be a you know seven year old boy right now who thinks he's his hero. You know, there's a lot of that kind of continuity in golf that is quite wild sometimes because of the longevity of the career. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was really cool to beat those kind of players. Though it was really it really helped me a lot. Do you follow Greg on Twitter and Instagram? I do. I've seen some of his... Oh, I wish I was as fit as him. My heavens. I've well, seen some of his exercises. We're waiting for your stuff to uh, come out, Snake. Yeah. I, I really struggle. I go to the gym, and the amount of times I've thought, can I take a selfie of this? And I just laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see him the other day? He took in one of his, In the lift. He's going, like, going up 10 flights in a lift, so he does about six ab crunches, and he takes vid- a video of himself and puts it out. Did you see that one? Yes, I did. Uh, I had no comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, uh, fast forward uh, 13 years, so from Adelaide to 13 years later, 2011, the Lakes, as you mentioned, uh, big field because the Ameri- the President's Cup was on the next week and you you get the chocolates again. Hazy and I were both lucky to be there. You might have been there, Andy. Yeah, Shot 69 in the last round. I remember you just grinding, the, grinding them to death and Johnny Sendon was second. Uh, one Tiger Woods third, uh, Jeff Ogilvy, Adam Scott, Nick Watney, Jason Day. I mean, it's wow. a, it a, a sensational field. Uh, does the lake? Did the lakes particularly kind of fit your eye? I think uh, it, it was a breezy week, and I I'm blessed to have grown up on a couple of golf courses that uh, you know, obviously Royal Fremantle. It's like the third or fourth windiest city in the world over there in Fremantle, and then. Um, I grew up at a Shelley Beach Golf Club, which is hanging off the ocean on the central coast of New South Wales. So playing in the wind is easier for me sometimes than some other people. I find it easy just to 
hit the ball down and move it around and, and you know, get it where I want it to go. It doesn't bother me as much. Um, I quite enjoy it. So that was, that was good. Um, I think I remember being uh, fair. I got away to a good start again. I think I birdied either one and two um, early on, hit some good shots. That really helps and gets you in that kind of frame of mind that, hey, this could be your day. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot about that week that was uh, just unfolded in my favour. Um, I do want to tell you a story, though, about the shot of the day on the last hole. Um, Par three at the lakes, yeah? They had the sh- no, no, sorry. They had the, I, I went home and I watched the telecast because I like to watch the, just the, the rerun just to make sure I still win. And... Uh, and <laughs> And I'm watching it, and I'm like, okay, I watch it. I'm fast forward through all the people that don't matter, and uh, this is great. And then I get, I get to the, I get to the uh, the end, and Luke Elvey was the lead, sort of, you know, what do you call it? Not host, the yeah. colour guy, like, yeah. yeah, the host. Anyway, Luke is doing his thing at the end, and they're rolling the credits, and let's go to the shot of the day. And I'm like, okay, this, you know, on 15, I hit a seven iron, the part three, I hit a seven iron about two feet. And then on 18, I hit a, you know, a long bunker shot out about five feet and made that. I said, I wonder which one they're going to pick. And then I hear Luke go, it's Tiger Woods. <laughs> I'm like, I about threw, I was drinking a bourbon, and I like bourbon and Diet Coke, and I was drinking, I about, I about spat it across the room. <laughs> well, there's a theme there that you, you've brought us to, Greg, uh, uh, because every time that's I've written great. a story about you over 20 years, I reckon uh, I've used the word, I, I've, I reckon every second time I've used the word underrated, but I kind of think you were underrated for a long time. You're not underrated in the industry or among the other players. I can I know that for a fact, but uh, the public don't recognise you quite as much as others. And uh, it doesn't. I, I wouldn't have thought the type of guy you are. It probably doesn't bother you, even though you would notice it. Uh, I don't care. Yeah. For two seconds, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, I really enjoy. Um, just playing the game, and I really enjoy trying to get better at it. Um, I don't, you know, anything else that comes along with that, I've been very, I've been, you know, it's a cliche, but I've been blessed. I, I don't I don't worry about, oh, I didn't get an article written, or no one's, I, I don't care. You want to call me and talk, we'll talk. If you don't, don't bother me either, man. I'll, uh, it, you know, there's a strong correlation between performance and how many of these kind of, you know, how much articles get written, but I don't flick the paper over every morning hoping I'm on the back page, for you know, because... Sometimes it's for the wrong reasons for some people, and I don't want that either. So it's just, hmm. um, I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy. Are there any other bourbon and diet coke stains <laughs> on your carpets around the world anywhere that we need to know about? No, no well, I've, I've cleaned up my act since then. But uh, <laughs> I will say, if, you know, it'd be nice if the telecast would. Uh, uh, designate the shot of the day to someone who's actually won the tournament. Yeah, you, you know, you know, you know, the games had had an unhealthy obsession with Tiger through your lifetime, Greg. You know how you know how that's been working. Yeah, exactly. And don't worry, I've taken it up with with Elby on more than one occasion. I've, I've, I've voiced my concern at that. Hey, your, your victories. I mean, I was there, and I was I wasn't I was watching your victory speech on on eighteen green. You know, after you'd signed your card and done the formalities, and you're really emotional. Half your family was here, and the other half was back in Dallas. Um, can you go back to to that time and tell us why? You know, was it just the separation that you weren't all there together, and this was such a big moment? In your life, what? Why was it? Why was that moment touching you the way that it was? You know, it, it, I wish I could tell you it was. Um, it, it's not so much why is it touching you. 
I, I've been a chronic um, crier <laughs> in situations like that, and, and I can't help myself. Right. And I wish I've tried to explain it to people. It's because you've been trying to control your emotions for so long. And I remember before Johnny was putting, and he's putting to tie me, I was in the locker room and I started crying. I'm like, what the hell are you doing, you clown? He could make this putt and you're not, you're not winning anything. So, so you stop crying and get your stuff together, you know? Um, so it's, it's just your emotions come out yeah. and you can't. And in, inside, honestly, I guarantee you I'm saying, stop crying, you fool. This is ridiculous. But outwardly, I can't, you know, I can't help it. Now, it didn't help. You know, I saw my son. My youngest boy was with me. Um, my oldest was, um, he was coming uh, the week after, uh, actually, uh, two weeks later, and because uh, he had some school stuff to finish before he came down uh, with my wife. So I, I, I was, you know, I saw my youngest as I walked out to sort of go to the presentation. That probably didn't help, um, but because he was like, Dad, did you win? You know, he's only, um, she's in 13, he was only uh, seven years old. So, Is that Lachlan, uh, that Greg? Was, yeah, that's yeah, that's lucky. Yeah, so he was yeah. he was kind of you know that was kind of cool to have that. You know, those moments for for people are, are, are rare. Um, win, rare. Winning is rare enough, but when you get people there that are, that matter to you, that uh, that deal with um, you know, it's not always beer and skittles in golf. You know, you don't always just lift trophies up. You know, there's always some uh, there's some struggles that go on. Um, and so when you get those moments that are rare and that you've got the right people there, that's really cool. So I wanted to ask you about Lockie and the foundation that you and your wife, uh, Nicole, run, the max, uh, is it Maximum Chances, uh, because Lockie was, uh, well, he has, uh, he's on the autism spectrum and he had some sort of struggles early in his life. But I, I read that he, um, you know, he goes to a mainstream school now and he, he, he plays a bit of soccer. I'm not sure what else he does, but he's doing pretty well. And you, you've, you know, you've had your issues with that or your struggles, but you're doing pretty well with it. Yeah, so it's actually that Lockie's my youngest. He's eleven. Yeah. Um, Max, Max is the one that. Apologies, yeah. Max is my oldest boy. He's, yeah, he's the one on the spectrum. Uh, yeah. Max is fourteen, and he's doing really well. Um, he, yeah, he's in a. He's. We've been very lucky that a lot of the stuff that we tried, because um, autism is quite a quite a battle, um, has worked for us. Uh, so we've been blessed, and he's a high functioning boy. He's kind of in this sort of uh, quirky, you can see this, you know, there's probably something that's, you know, a little quirky about him, but it's it's hard to pinpoint sometimes, I guess, is where he's at. So he's in a, he's in a bit of a limbo, but look, he's, yeah, he's playing, uh, he's on the, he made the, he set a goal to make the A team uh, in the in the football, he's playing gridiron, um, so we're trying to keep an eye on that, because obviously, you know, worried about head stuff, they've got a lot of problems with that over here, so, but he's doing really well at the moment, the kids aren't sort of big enough to cause too much damage. Um, and so, yeah, he's he's going he's going really well. Thanks. His grades are awesome. He's a very intelligent boy. Uh, but you know, most of his challenges are uh, social. Um, you know, dealing with making friends and keeping friends and and things like that. So, Greg, as a young parent, you know, you and your, you you don't you, you, this is stuff that you're not trained for in life, and you know, it hits you, and then you're trying to deal with it. Um, as Blakey said, you've set up the foundation. When, when in the early days of that. Um, how much kind of strength and support did your family derive from other families who were, you know, trying to find, uh, you know, a, a happy balance, happy life with, you know, children who were going through the same thing that you were going through? 
Uh, I would say when you're first diagnosed, and then he was diagnosed right around 20, I think around 20 months, 22 months, yep. when the doctor first sort of said, hey, look, this is, this is, not, this is not what you want to hear, but hey, guess what? Um, so I would say early on, it's a, it's a massive learning curve, particularly if someone's going to, your wife, if, you know, I'm on the road 30 weeks a year, yeah. so someone had to drive the bus, and that's what I always sort of use the analogy, you know, my wife drives the bus, and I'm... I'm going along as a passenger, and I, but I've got to make sure I'm still on the bus and, and still um, being a part of the journey. Otherwise, you can't just all be her because I don't want to come home and, and give the wrong medication or, or mess up his diet or, you know, cause a problem that she's just been fixing for the last four weeks. So um, there's there's a lot about that. But, yeah, you need a, you need a network and you need an infrastructure, and, and that's what we're trying to do with Maximum Chances is, aside from pay for therapies for families, um, we're also an avenue for, hey, guess we can maybe help you hurdle uh, with some early hurdles to, and some information that certainly my wife might have that can uh, take away some of the stress of what do you do now or what's some steps I can take now to help my you know son or daughter. That's great. Greg, um, as you mentioned, you're living in, in Texas there, and I know you're brilliant mates with John Sendon and his family and, and they're going through a hard time. It's a, it's a, it's a great community you've got there to be what you're both proudly Australian. I know that, uh, to be away from home for so long and, and by so far, it must be comforting even in your, tr- in your tough times with, you know, with, with Max and now with, with Jacob as well, uh, to be able to bond together. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's, it's really important. You know, obviously I, I don't want to talk out of school about what Sendo's, you know, going through. Um, but we do, we, you know, we, we spend a lot of time visiting and, and uh, uh, visiting them, him in hospital. He's going through his chemo and he's under radiation now, I believe. And um, so, and, and, you know, texting and a lot of texting. Um, and, and look, that, that's what happens when I, I, mo- I moved over here to Dallas because of I'm good friends with Phil Tatarangi. Um, Pamps was also good friend, is good friends with Phil. And he moved here because of that. Sendo was good friends with Pants, so he moved here because of that. And then other guys have been, you know, Leany moved over and he's since, you know, he's moved back to Australia now, um, lived in Dallas. Nathan Green, uh, even Bowditch, Boda Bado still lives here. Um, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of us that, um, and then Phoenix is the same for some guys in Scottsdale. Orlando was the same for some guys. And you kind of follow suit just to you create your own little mini community. Um, and then also meet other people and other friends, which we've managed to do as well. So um, it's pretty important when you live in, uh, you don't have, you know, my par- our parents are 20,000 miles away, so or 15,000 or whatever it is, you know. So um, it's it's pretty important to have these little, you know, the, the friendships you create and have with people are, are very important. They become your family. One last question before we put you back onto the Australian Open track that we've probably got yeah, you here yeah. for. Um, <laughs> 386 times you pegged it up in the PGA Tour and would be remiss not to ask you know that emotional breakthrough win in the Barracuda Championship does it still just resonate with you like it was yesterday did you ever think it was going to happen um, do you think it's going to happen again okay so I would say this um, you have to think it's going to happen otherwise why why, why even bother you know like if you don't think it's going to happen then you're probably going to be right it won't um, I really enjoy, though, just the journey. I'm okay if it didn't. You know, if I don't win, I wouldn't. I wouldn't shed a tear. I, I was okay. I'm okay with the journey to get to 
that point, and I've really loved every step along the way, whether it be, you know, I've got to improve this part of my game, or I really suck here and I've got to get that right, or I'm good here and we're going to maintain that. I really love that process. And if that led to me winning, then great, and it has. Um, and I'm doing that again now, trying to manage things. In, and, and I still think, I ch- like I change coaches, I'm now getting coached by Brad Hughes. Um, and I did that last June with a view to, I think this is going to really help me um, and maybe and, and win again. So I, that's how my brain works. But if I don't think like that, then I'm not going to achieve anything. So um, that's, that's just kind of how I believe you know, things are moving for me in a good direction. But um, I've been thinking that, though, for 23 years, and there's been years in my career that haven't gone very well. So, uh, but I always thought there was something good around the corner. Ultimately, you were proven right. I mean, you got there. Yeah. yeah it only took 380. <laughs> 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 hey, Greg, you're one of those, uh, by virtue of you know winning your couple of Australian Opens and you know winning the National Amateur Championship, you're one of those you know, the cluster of players who have got the double. You know, when you sort of do hang it up, you know, professionally, and you look back at the body of work you've you know kind of created for yourself, how proud of that um, achievement will you be? Uh, yeah, I'd say very. Uh, I'm. Uh, I, I really love uh, the Australian Open, and to have won it once. Uh, I've got some buddies that um, you know haven't won it at all. You know, some pros from Australia who played overseas, and um, that occasionally gets a mention if I'm having a drink with them or a chat. Uh, but, Jason uh, and Leash, they cop it, know, do they? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm probably more leany. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I yeah, I'm, I'm proud of it. I, I, I won't lie. I, I really am, uh, and, and I'd love to do it again. I'm, I, I'm looking forward to getting down there. I'm glad, you know, I like the Australian. I've had some, you know, a nice finish there once or twice. I like that style there at the golf course. It's a bit of a brute of a golf course. Um, and so I, I think I've had more luck there than I have uh, in terms of strong performance. If they go back to the lakes, that'd be even better. I'd appreciate if they do that one day. We'll see what uh, we can do. Hey, hey Pabs, Pabs shot 61 yeah, yeah, at the Australian, you know. I bet you he yeah, rides you that too. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he hasn't mentioned it more than 100 times. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, it's all good. I, I, I'm looking forward to getting back and playing. And I think we, I'm really excited about I love it when, like, uh, Speed comes down. I guess J-Day's going to come down, and uh, I'm excited about, you know, getting the buzz that'll be about it, you know, because, you know, you've always got to remember one of the greatest things is just playing in front of people, you know, and doing your doing your craft in front of a good crowd. It's good fun. Last do you, one. Do you oh, think John. the Open, uh, GC, do you think it's just grown a little bit, you know, just on a good roll in the last few years? Since the, the McElroy-Scotty one where they went down the... The 18th at Royal Sydney, that kind of 213. Since then, it's it's getting a bit of momentum again. I I, I think so. I mean, you guys be a better judge than me. It's hard for me to. I, mean, I can only go what I read uh, in the paper. Um, I know from a player standpoint, um, I've always you, 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 players talk, and so when you have, I've had probably a handful of players come up to me and ask me, "Where's the Australian Open and what's the golf course like?" And I'm just one guy, you know. I guarantee you that other Aussies are getting the same questions, and 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 our golf courses are our biggest asset when it comes to, aside from our country, but our golf course particularly is our biggest selling point to foreign players um, when you're trying to get somebody to come down and play. So 
that's that's the biggest thing to me. If we, we if we have it on you know good golf courses, then we're we're a good chance to get strong strong fields and and uh, attract some people through the gates to watch it. Just a silly um, obscure one from me to round out mine. Uh, Festo on the on the broad brimmed hat of Peter Senior is probably the most um, ingrained in my memory uh, sponsorship on a man's head that I can remember, Greg. But you had Hippo on your cap in 1998. Oh, what was Hippo all about? What were they, what were they doing? Yeah, so Hippo were a golf company. They actually, um, Peter Alice was actually their spokesperson. Uh, myself, um, a guy named Russell Clayton yeah. um, played a European tour. Uh, he was, uh, and Ian Woosnam played their pro- played their product. Uh, if you look back through Ian's pictures, you'll see him playing hippo clubs and hippo bag and everything, and wearing their clothes. They were a, a kind of a, a catered to you know more the working class golfer. Um, they weren't you know like a you know high end product. Uh, but I started out just wearing their clothes. I never actually played their clubs. I just uh, wore their clothes and carried their bag. Um, and uh, yeah, they're not the most flattering name in the world. If you're a decent sized human being, but uh, <laughs> Russell Clyde. Yeah, Russell. Russell got a bit of ribbing, I think. He, would, he wasn't as <laughs> he was a big boy. He was a big boy. I got one obscure yeah. one too for you before we go. I was you had the um, gave me one of my uh, great moments in watching golf in the states practice round. Um, I want to say the BMW Championship at Crooked Stick a few years ago, and you let me walk on a Wednesday in the, inside the ropes with you while you were practicing. Um, you came round to the seventeenth tee, par three, very long. I want to say two hundred and twenty yards, and you flushed. A, I want to say three iron or a four iron with your back to the crowd. The, the, the grandstands on the right. And it was an awesome shot, covered the pin, finished four or five feet behind, just in a practice round. And the guy yelled down to you, what did you hit, Mr. Chalmers? And you just turned around and flicked and said, I was going to hit a nine, but I hit an eight because I really thought it was a bit up there. <laughs> Knocked down eight. And, uh, um, which I think I loved, and I was killing myself laughing and trying not to give the gig away. But you have a great deal of fun with the crowds. And why is that important to you? And do you keep doing it? And you got any other little tales like that? Oh, I um, I learned a long time ago uh, that that twenty second or ten second or five second interaction, you're judged by that. Uh, so I always try and keep that in mind and try not to be an idiot uh, to people. And, and look, that's just how I was raised anyway. My father didn't, you know, he didn't raise me to be disrespectful. Now, I've had some times where it's warranted, and I've just bit my tongue. Um, I did have one, uh, I've had a couple of stories uh, at the Phoenix Open on that 16th hole. Um, I hold a putt for birdie and for about eight feet, and this guy yelled out, and yeah, there's 20,000 people around the hole, this guy yelled out, yeah, nice putt, too bad you've got a fat ass. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I had like, and I wanted to get a glimpse of this guy, you know, because I'm looking up and I've got like 20 responses in my head about what I want to say. And I can't, I can't find him, you know. I was very frustrated. And, uh, yeah, you get you get some sometimes. And I just laughed in the end. I'm like, yeah, good one. See you later, clown. Um, but then uh, there's uh, another guy at at, um, at uh, uh, the Honda Classics, a really brutal finish. And I was running about fifth or sixth a few years ago. And I hit it in the water on 17, the par three. And this guy, he's like 10 feet from me, and he's obviously really drunk. And uh, he's yelling he's yelling over the ropes. 
he's just got this one little rope that he's yelling over. He goes, you're choking, you're choking. Oh, and I looked at him and said, mate, do you... I said, mate, do you think that rope is some magic force field? I said, I'm about to shove this club right up your backside, if you're careful. And uh, he goes, oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> oh, it's great to know you're coming back down. Um, you know, your, your contribution, as we said right off the top, to, you know, golf here speaks for itself, but around the world likewise. Um, your, your work might go unnoticed by the broader sports community on occasions over here, Greg, but it certainly doesn't. Amongst the hardcore golf community, we we admire what you do, what you've done, and what you will continue to do. Thanks so much for remembering, you know, the couple of opens you've won and a whole lot of other stuff with us today. It's been a, it's been a barrel of laughs and a great deal of fun. Thanks so much. No worries, guys. Too easy. I hope you guys have a good day. We will. Greg Chalmers joining us as we reminisce on Australian Opens won in the past here on Inside the Ropes. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows? Maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, Check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today, the home of Australian golf. Hey, this is Rod Pampling. Anytime you guys want to tune in and find out what's happening around the world, listen to Inside the Road. Great, uh, great way to find out what the Aussies are doing. Your gear's on. So Danny Barron about to join us to talk about golf month. We've just got a, a couple of minutes on Greg Chalmers. Uh, what a first class. What a first class ambassador for golf in this country that man has always been and continues to be. I think he could stay away from Australia for a thousand years and still sound like he does, and I, I love him for it, but... He's so proudly Australian, and and he he always looks for you know I've come at this from a media perspective. Obviously, he always looks for the Australian media there to you know reach out and be contactable. He knows that they're not jumping at him every week, but he's such a good bloke to deal with on on so many levels. And he he takes you into his inner sanctum there. The you know the family, the caddies. He's he's more than happy to share what his ride has been. I I got nothing but admiration for Greg Chalmers, and he gets so unders. Uh, in terms of recognition and achievements and stuff, did you realise, Andy and Blakey, that he's had 17 top 25 finishes at the Australian Open? 17. Phenomenal. I mean, if if you could have a career where you played 17 Australian Opens, that's phenomenal. Absolutely a world-class number. He's finished top 25 17 times, seven top 10s. And, And seriously, you could walk down the street and not have anyone tap him. Well, I'd advise anyone who's coming to the Emirates Australian Open at uh, the Australian next month, go out and watch Greg Chalmers putt because that's that's yeah. where he does it. That's Yeah, absolutely. He's a good hitter, but he's an amazing he's one of the best putters out I, there. I'm trying to think of a lack of par- I, I your point's a really good one about um and I, and he said what he said about I don't care whether anyone's mm-hmm. talking about me. I don't care, right? And it's symptomatic, unfortunately, and this is why we said on a few occasions, this is why we're doing this podcast and why GA sees it important to own a bit of its own media space to yeah. give the game some coverage that it doesn't necessarily get in the broader community. Just listening to you two talk about it and listening to Greg, I'm trying to think of the lack of parity that uh, golfers get compared to other, you know, not 
indigenous sports players, like rugby league players or AFL players in Australia. But if you think of the career that Greg Chalmers has put together, say, alongside Daniel Ricciardo, right? Mm. Now, Daniel Ricciardo, he could not walk down the main street of most major cities without being swamped. Daniel Ricciardo's doing some amazing things. But Greg Chalmers has had by far and away a more successful career in his chosen sport than Daniel Ricciardo has. Um, and there's just as many people in Australia who love their golf than love F1. Yep. It doesn't make any sense that I could, somewhere I could along mention the, a couple of tennis players as well. Well, of course you could. Do, do you know what I mean? And I'm not yeah. being disrespectful to Daniel Ricciardo, but I don't understand. I don't. My brain can't compute why the achievements of a man like Chalmers don't get, or just automatically, the respect they deserve. Um, you know, along mm. the way, it's tough, and it does take sort of, uh, you know, a retrospective look at it rather than constant mid-career analysis to actually bring that to the front to uh. talk about it. I, it's really sad because, you know, he, he's done so much and has never offended anyone and made a handy living and he does the right thing with his charities and he's a great friend to all those guys over there that he mentioned. Uh, he does everything right and still gets nothing. He's, he's happy about it, though. Yeah, he doesn't yeah, care, yeah, so that's yeah. probably the main thing. In the end, two two Australian Opens in the kit bag and, and uh, a win PG- in America yeah, and a couple, a couple of PGAs. PGAs. Yeah, yeah. It's, he's, happy, he's, you know, he's happy with that, and rightly so. Absolutely. I'm not sticking a fork in him from winning a third either. No chance. Oh, yeah. No he, chance. he will be right up there. Oh, no chance. Hey, we've been talking about golf month uh, leading into October and the last couple of weeks as October is now upon us. What is it as we sit here now? It's Thursday the 19th of October. That means, How many days are there in October? 30, 31. 31, there you go. So by the time you're either listening to this, there's... 12, 11, 10, possibly nine days to go. So there's still life in golf month uh, before it's done and dusted. Danny Barron is the marketing director of Golf Australia and has got his fingerprints all over golf month. And he joins us. Hello, Danny. How are you? Hi, Andy. Good to ha- be here. How's Thanks. it going? What, what's the, the feedback that you're getting um, at your desk? How is golf month tracking in 2017? I think there's probably a few aspects to that. Firstly, I think the the campaign work that we've done has been really well received by clubs and facilities. I think they've appreciated the creative idea, you know, sharing the golf bug. We know that nine out of ten people pretty much get introduced to the game by somebody that they they know, a friend or a family member. So I think they've appreciated the thinking that's gone into that. And we've seen some awesome activities around the country already. Anything that sort of any club or any you know sort of area that's doing it better than any others that you might be able to kind of explain as to why they're doing it better. I think in pure numbers terms, Victoria has been a standout with uh, I think 108 activities in total. Tasmania probably um, per capita is probably yeah. the winner and with 45 activities in total. Simon Weston uh, down there has been doing a wonderful job getting clubs on board. We've had local media on the, in terms of TV, print, online down there, which has been a real example of what can be achieved when we connect with clubs at, you know, as a governing body. Um, I think in terms of the activities themselves, most recently at Windaroo Lakes in Queensland, we had 70 women attending a chip and sip event, which um, culminated in, in them playing um, 
big they played big team Ambrose so women had never played the game before played in like groups of six and seven so they kind of just felt really safe and comfortable it yeah. didn't, didn't really matter if their shot actually contributed to the score awesome. they'd had a great time the the local pro there was driving around bringing them drinks while they were playing you know it's just just a perfect example of just making golf friendly welcoming accessible and just getting new people into our sport where so, was my invite to that Danny <laughs> sounds like great fun you were on holiday weren't you Hazen? oh that's unbelievable. So cl- these ideas that clubs can make happen, it's, it's, it's their purvey. They can, whatever they want to do, however they want to use their imagination to drag people onto the golf course that might otherwise not spend time there. That's part of what we're hoping Golf Month will achieve, right? Getting people who have got their Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday weekend set out. That's We know we're going to be playing par on Monday. It's Ladies Day Tuesday. It's Stableford Wednesday. To think outside the square, and clearly some clubs are accepting that challenge um, enthusiastically. Yeah, I think there's some some clubs are really grabbing this, and they recognise that this is a a platform that's kind of growing each year. It's getting better and better each year. You know, these things take some time to get traction, and one of the big callouts for me is to get clubs to think about when they're planning their diaries for the next twelve months. Like, what are we going to do in October to, yeah. for golf month? You know, a year out. Um, that's really important for us. Um, what's encouraging to me is that some of the bigger clubs are, and perhaps the more traditional clubs are really getting on board as well. Any examples? Uh, yes, yeah, so Royal Adelaide is one that really sticks out for me. So they've got a bring a non-golf club member friend um, activity coming up, which I think is a credit to Andrew Gay and the team there to, to show that even some of our traditional clubs, which have really don't need new members, yep. are jumping on board and being part of, I guess, what I consider to be a celebration of golf in October. You know, I think we struggle as a sport to have a have a window where we can really all come together and, and make some noise. And I think October works really well because, as we all know, the footy season's come to a close, albeit the AFL in particular still tries to, to dominate. Still a lot October. of Richmond jumpers being worn around town. Unfortunately, they're not taking their jumpers off, which is starting to annoy me now. <laughs> move on, Tiger supporters. But anyway, move on. Yeah, there's plenty of that going on. Um, but it, I guess from my point of view, I look at it and think, you know, we can create the platform um, and the clubs that jump on board and think innovatively, as you described, are, are really getting a lot of benefit from this. But just imagine if we had, you know, 1,300 clubs in Australia every year, plus the national marketing campaign or promoting golf in Australia for the month of October, Mm. how powerful that could be. And the reality is, as you guys have talked about, we we have kind of had a slight reduction in um, in golf club membership in particular over the last 10 years, um, notably. So we do have a challenge and there's a, Basically, every single um, person in in this country has a myriad of choices as to how they spend their their time and their money. Um, and entertainment options get more and more um, by the day. So, mm. I think as a sport, it's a great opportunity for us to to come together and try to compete really strongly as as one sport and one game, which we all know is awesome and great fun for everybody to be part of. Well, that's a really important point. When you think, I mean, you've got a we've got a fact sheet here, and one of the points that jumps off the page to me is that fifty percent of clubs have fewer than a hundred members. So when you think about that as a stat, clubs have got a very should have an unbelievably vested interest in getting people to come through the door, sample what they've got, sample the environment because it's a. I mean, we're talking to people who are by and large regular players. We know how nice when you get out of the car and you walk into the environment of the golf course you leave a whole lot of the regular stresses behind. It's a chance to kind of detox from your daily sort of pressures and whatevers. 
uh, while you play a sport that you love. And for clubs to be able to expose that to people who aren't used to it um, through a form of, through a, a program like Golf Month offers, it's a golden opportunity for them. Yeah, it is, and I think the we we shouldn't get too far away from the perceptions that are out there amongst non-golfers. You know, we all know the game, we all know that it's great and wonderful and welcoming for for those of us that are part of it. But you know, for the general public, you know, we know from our consumer research that that people think it's kind of pale, male, stale. It's exclusive and it's it's expensive. That's what they think, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where we've got to start from as clubs and facilities around the country we've got to think about how we can change those perceptions you know that could be anything from the physical environment through to the the first point of contact when that person that new person comes through the doors how can we actually change that so our game is genuinely welcoming and fun and relaxed and we're not going to force people to play competition straight away or feel like they need to have a handicap straight away just make the game easy and and relaxed have lots of tees out there so the game's you know really simple interesting uh denny because last year i was looking at the figures for last year rounds of golf and they're up two percent nationally so uh, club membership's playing, down yeah. 0. Point something percent. So the club uh, clubs are obviously struggling to keep their members. There's a slight drop-off in that that's been going on for the last 15 years, but people are out there wanting to play. Yeah, and we're also seeing um, a big increase in social golf club membership as well. So um, that's not something that's unique to, to our sport either. So we're seeing um, across sport in Australia that there is uh, a trend away from organised, traditional organised sport. People want to self-organise and do things more flexibly and in their own time. So clubs have um, got that challenge. Is the old membership model where you can have a, a bunch of members in your club who don't play and just pay their money, as I think you guys have talked about on the podcast, before um that's there isn't a lot of that around anymore so it's about pivoting i think for clubs and thinking about how they can offer broader entertainment experiences there's some cool stuff going on out there there's um clubs that i know as an just as an example i'm not suggesting it's the right thing for every club but um northbridge golf club in new south wales has got has is generating a significant amount of revenue from foot golf, which is helping its bottom line massively. So just thinking about what you could welcome to your facility, how else you can entertain people in the quieter times, mm. what else you could offer to um, to your local communities as well. I think that's the big thing that I've seen with Golf Month is people actually, or clubs and facilities running really cool family open days. They're bringing jumping castles in. They're having sausage sizzles. They're having just come and try golf. And it's not difficult to do. No. And we're providing, I suppose, a national marketing platform but then where we're seeing the greatest success is then when clubs are actually complementing that and building on that with their own marketing their own local community um advertisements etc it's you know we can do so much but then um it's obviously needs to be complemented by what the clubs and facilities do locally which brings me perfectly to my two questions here Danny. sandhurst golf club still coming up this month come and try to smash the drone yeah, I'm not sure. Um, hopefully, they're they're not expecting too many really accurate golfers because it sounds like it could get expensive. But um, how fun does that sound? Exactly for me, it kind of it's quite aligned with some of the content that the European Tour have put out in yeah. terms of social media. And it just there's so many ways that we can make our game fun, and we, yeah. it just requires us to think a bit differently. So I, I love that activity, and it combines um, you know a fun activity in terms of the smash the drone piece, but also um, there's a come and try golf experience around it. So they've they've worked out that there's something fun there. To to get people through the door and then hopefully they'll get some more people playing more traditional golf, shall we and say. Bothwell, which is we've mentioned it on this podcast before in the centre of Tasmania, well, I think it might be the oldest golf club in Australia. It's just one of the most stunning little pieces of property. Greenskeeper's Revenge. 
the, what, that just sounds awesome because I know they've got a lot of sheep heading in the uh, mowing sheds down there. I, I knew you were going to ask me about that one. Um, oh, oh. I'm not exactly sure that what, what kind of revenge they're going to be oh, taking, but good. it might be worth um, our Tassie listeners finding out. Um, I think there's one thing that I would just like to say is that um, almost irrespective of the number of people that were driving to uh, activities around the country, we've had over 900 competition entries and partly I expect thanks to you guys promoting that competition. So people telling us in 150 words or less who they're going to share the golf bug with during October. And some of the entries we've had have been absolutely fantastic from uh, one guy I think I mentioned um, to Hazy a couple of weeks ago who has got a neighbour who's 76 and was about to take up bowls. And he said, no, no, you're not not old enough for that yet. I'm taking taking you golfing. And we actually got photos of him actually taking him golfing sent to us. So um, that's at one end of the scale. And then there's a um, a guy called Steve Button in Tasmania whose son's got cystic fibrosis and he's um, starting him on the golfing journey, um, I guess, slightly prompted by by our campaign. So there's always the numbers and there's always the kind of the activities, but there's been some wonderful stories. And as I said earlier, we know that people find their way best into our game through people that know it and love it. So it's been really inspiring for us all that have been involved in the campaign to read those entries. That's great. And it just requires... You know, occasionally thinking slightly outside the square, and then you know letting one foot lead you, lead the other, and get in there and have a look. And uh, if the clubs are opening their doors, it's a great opportunity to go and sample it. Uh, we've got, you know, about two weeks left there or thereabouts. So if you've been hearing us bang on about it and you're listening to Danny talk about it today for maybe the first time, and you're thinking, you know, I want to do this. There is something itching away at me that I do want to go and see what my local club's got to offer, um, rather than be a bit of a golf nomad, um, get in and have a look and um, see what see what they have got and to offer. And if you are a member, go and push your club to try something radical. Spot on. Like, yep. You know, go and target the hornet's nest up the side of the third fairway. Do something quirky and funny. Like, it's not just... You know, boring old traditional yep. golf. That's and, that's what yep. we. That's the message we need to get out to. And if they missed the boat in 2017, they're not prepared to do something short on short notice. Maybe plant the seed to do something next year. Danny, it's a fantastic campaign. Uh, golf needs it uh, around Australia. So, um, congratulations on everything that GA and all the various uh, organisations and clubs who have supported it have been able to achieve this year. Uh, and you know, onward and upward, more strength. Uh, beyond. Thanks for coming on to tell us about it today. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, everyone. Danny Barron, uh, Marketing Director of Golf Australia. Uh, Golf Month still got a couple of, about a week and a half to run. Uh, Wherever and whenever you're listening to this, get out and get involved with it if you can. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program near you, visit swingfit.com.au. Hello, I'm Travis Smyth. This October is Golf Month and the perfect opportunity to share the golf club with your mates. Get around it. Right, we're going to have a bits and pieces just to wrap up before we uh, finish the show. We were talking about um, the Italian Open and Tyrrell Hatton at the top. Can I just mention quickly Marcus Fraser? Before we had my, my hiatus when I was at Guantanamo Bay last <laughs> week, um, I'd mentioned that Fraser had been doing it a bit tough, great friend of a lot of people here in Victoria and around Australia, of course. Well, he shot lights out 
in two rounds at the Italian Open. Shot the 62, the lowest round of his professional career um, in the second round there. Just couldn't quite get it going in the third. Looked like he'd slipped, not out of contention, but not necessarily going to go into the final round as a winning chance. Well, he comes out and goes Coco Bananas at the start of the final round, takes the lead, um, and, you know, he didn't eventually win it, but hung on. No, not hung on. He's finished, shot 18 under and finished tie fifth. Fantastic result for him. Rolex, you know, series event, picks up a lot of money. Huge shot in the arm, I think, confidence-wise for him because he, you know, clearly had been thinking about packing the clubs up yeah. for the year and coming home um, and getting himself ready for next year. That's a great result for Fraze. And you also think Corowa, we had the, had the golf on in the background. That's his hometown in southern New South Wales there. Uh, we had the golf on in the background talking on, on Sunday night and we must have skipped away for a second just in focusing in our conversation and he rolled in a putt. I don't know if it was probably the third of his birdies in succession maybe. Yep. And you actually heard, and I'm, I kid you not, you actually heard... <laughs> from up and down the street in Corowa. Like, there's enough people watching That's it correct. there. It was fantastic. It well, could have been... It's, it sounded like a really big tournament in Corowa. One right. of the That's good awesome. things you can do if you're ever in that area is go to the golf club and just have a look at the honour boards Spot because <laughs> if it's not Marcus, it's his, his brother, brother and another brother and his dad and yeah. it's just Fraser, 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 Fraser. It's very true. Yeah. Uh, WA Open this week. Uh, now... It's on. It's on now. Probably. Yep. I don't. Have they teed off? Yep. We're, we're yes. Doing, yeah, they're away. I, I can't. I'm not going to hide my enthusiasm for this. I am barracking so hard, given some of the conversations that have been happening about you know women in other sports around Australia at the moment. I'm barracking so hard for Hannah Green uh, to not only make the cut, which would be the first time I think a female player's ever done it in a PGA Australasian PGA Tour event. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think. I think a, that's right. Think yeah. No one's. No females ever made the cut in a men's event before. I'm barracking so hard for her to do that, and then maybe even just shake the tree a little bit and uh, stick her nose in the frame at some stage. I don't know whether I'm asking too much of her, but uh, gee, I'll be excited if she does. Well, Clayton was talking last week how he just can't foresee how, and he's a massive advocate yep. for women's golf. So, yep. you know, he's coming at it from a very knowledgeable spot. How he can't see Hannah Green being able to compete with Jared Felton, for example, over the course of a four-round tournament. I'm, Jared Felton was fair dinkum. He's actually nervous that Hannah might sneak up and pip him. I'm fair dinkum. Uh, just to pour rain on that, <laughs> Hazy, she played a practice round uh, yesterday, so Wednesday our time. Uh, with and she played with Ollie Goss. Admittedly, she, she played Min with a, and Minwoo yeah, Lee. Yeah, yeah. So she played with a couple of absolute bombers. Uh, and she said afterwards that she was hitting four irons into the greens where they were hitting eight eight irons. So four clubs difference. That's going to be tough, Hazy. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, she's faced some, you know, obstacles, physical obstacles that you know uh, are only to be expected. Yep. But uh, I don't. Look, is she going to win? I don't think so. But we love to see her win. What's oh, a good that result? Would just be unbelievable. Make well, cut. Make cut. Make cut result. would be a t- absolute huge tick. result. Yeah. I, th- I think she. I, that would be an enormous result. I think she. I think she's aiming higher than that. Well, if hey, she's as hot as any golfer, any Australian golfer on the planet at the moment. I mean, she's going as well as anyone on the planet right now. So, um, you know, she's obviously in good form. And if she can just find her feet early, if she doesn't get, you know, kind of unsettled by a couple of early hiccups. In well, she round. has. She has played in the last two WA Opens yeah, as well, yeah. which which will help her. Just That's for, true. For, with yeah. the nerve factor. Yeah, yeah she, no doubt. She's out with Zach Murray, who she's good mates with. 
Yeah, it's uh, a long way. Yeah, another another friend from old national squad days, and uh, also uh, Daniel Fox, I believe. So you know, she's got a good group. She'll be relaxed. She'll yeah, be good. with a lot of support from crowd. A great course, Royal Perth. If you're listening to this anywhere around and you haven't been down to South Perth, it's a really easy walk. It's beautiful. Get down there. Oh, you, well, when you go and have a look, it's a good field. Gillian Curtis Luck in the field and Ollie Goss in the field. Is Ollie Goss wearing glasses now? Did I see a photo of him the other day where he's wearing glasses? Not sure. Okay, I think I saw a photo of him wearing glasses. But and Brett Rumford's in that field as well, who's a long-time yeah. member of that club. Absolutely. So. Um, Cathedral Lodge. We're hearing a lot about Cathedral Lodge. Um, and... I don't know how many of us, you've got the opportunity, you've already had the opportunity to play it. You and I haven't, have we, Blake? That's unbelievable, isn't it? <laughs> Didn't happen did to mention it last week, did you? Wait for age. Did you mention it last week? I'm listening to the whole show from last week. No, no, week. he didn't Didn't mention it to me that he was going up to play there. It's really poor form by you. Yeah. How'd you get on? Uh, <laughs> I was invited by the Sharks crew. Oh, never listened to me. So I don't want to drop any names or anything, Andy. Well, you just did. That's disgraceful by you. Now, nah, while you were I there... Think, I think um, the, there's nothing wrong with the PR arm of the Greg Norman Enterprise. So no. th- they reached out to, you know, so many different media entities. I haven't seen that. There was a more there's a more broad collection of Australian media there than at the Australian Open. So they went far and wide to try and get as much publicity as they could, which is great. And I think it's going to be, a, you know, a, a real... Uh, boon on the Australian golf landscape, especially to have one in such a beautiful part of Victoria, which a lot of people haven't even seen, central sort of eastern Victoria. Alex- is it Alexandria? Yeah, it's Alexandra. further east of yeah. Alexandria, yeah. yeah. It's okay. near a little town called Thornton. What exactly yeah. is it, Hazy? I mean, what style of... Well, it's Okay, it's a golf course, it's a high-end golf course, but you know, who, who plays it? Who's going to play it? Well, David Evans, who's uh, one of Australia's most successful businessmen and known to a lot of AFL supporters as uh, former chairman of the Essendon Footy Club. Um, and unfortunately for him, he was involved around the time of the the drug saga, uh, the supplement saga, I should say. Um, it's his baby. He and his wife, Sonia, are just absolutely uh, passionate about the area itself. Uh, and they love their golf. They're both really good players. Uh, he's on low single figures, and she must be, I would say, 12 or 13 handicapper Great players, great people. Um, they want to make it a club that 150 to 170 members, they'll be personally vetted by the Evans family. They want to make it a place where uh, those people can go and their families, and they want to make it a place for those families to have their kids and come along and play. And, and they'll, they'll have members, guests, and everything. But this, herein lies the problem. You know, it's not, we can talk about this for as long exactly. as we want. Yep. It's not going to be a course that the average Joe can get on. So it's like Alliston in New it's, South it, Wales. It's like Alliston, but with a slightly concept. broader um, target because, you know, that was just Kerry. Yeah. <laughs> it was Kerry only, Kerry Packer. Um, this one's got at least a membership base, but I don't, they don't want it to be a course where, um, you know, you can pay $2,000 and go and play green fees. It's members and members' guests only. Uh, it's a long way away from Melbourne. It's not an easy drive. Um, there's going to be a lot of helicopter flights up there. They envisage six to seven groups a day going around the course. So it's it's everything that's probably not who we're talking to right now. Yeah. Without, with due respect to everyone, and the Evans family is awesome, and the, the passion they've got for it's great, but... But yeah, it's, it's not. A but. It's not an everyman golf course. No, it's okay. definitely not. You, while you were there, you caught up with, uh, did you not, a 14-year-old girl who got the opportunity to play? I did. I did catch up with uh, Greg Norman, but um, some of the conversation was just probably not quite right for our uh, for our audience. I wouldn't have thought any. So, <laughs> consequently, I watched her, him play with um, a young fourteen year old Kay Bannon, 
who was a recently a member of an Australian development team that went and played in the Asia Pacific Junior Teams event. Um, she was in a team uh, behind the team that was uh, Jed, who we've spoken to on here before, yep. Jed Morgan and Grace Kim. So she's a very much a development player. Uh, on that front, but she's got a lot of promise and she got the chance to tee it up with a pretty special foursome. Let's have a listen to her. Kay Bannon, a very special guest. You've just I'm just interviewing you right now as we stand outside Cathedral Lodge Golf Club. You've just had a very special experience. Uh, yes, I have. It's It's been amazing. So tell the listeners what you've done here. You've, uh, you've come out to the opening, the grand opening of a very famous now already private course, and you got to do what? I got to play with uh, Greg Norman, uh, Ricky Pont- Ponting, and... Um, David Evans. Yeah. I don't know, so. What? Now, listeners obviously can't see your face, but you've been smiling from ear to ear for about three hours now. I have. It's um, surprised my jaw hasn't started hurting yet. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, nah, I'm really happy and excited for this. Um, when I got the call a few days ago, I just, I just haven't stopped smiling since then. It's just I'm just smiling for no reason, and my friends are like, "Why are you smiling?" It's like I'm just smiling. So, how did you find out, and how were you chosen? Um, so, uh, I found out from a phone, a text message from Mitchell Judd, um, and he, he explained to me that, um, I, he has selected me to play with Greg Norman in this, like, grand opening of Cathedral Lodge Golf Club, and, um, yeah. That's that, That's... So, you're um, 14, nearly 15... Yeah. Greg Norman was finished doing most of his career by 2002. Yep. What do you know about Greg Norman? Oh, to be honest, I don't know much about Greg Norman. I know he's a legend, mm-hmm. greatest like Australian golfer ever. Oh, you must know I a little really, bit then to know that. I, <laughs> I know a little bit, but um, not too much. He's former world number one. Yep. He, he's an amazing guy. He's, he's great. So he took you under his wing out there, didn't he? Yes, he did. He gave me a lot of advice and like tips with my golf swing and my putting and all that. It's really handy. Can you take it all in? Do you think you'll be able to remember it? I think I'll definitely be able to remember it. Remember it. Give us uh, one word of wisdom. He took you on the third hole here. He, he took your side and really gave you some swing tips, didn't he? Yes, he did. Um, he... Yeah, he gave me um, some swing tips because I come down onto the ball. So he's telling me about my right shoulder, how I need to like relax it a bit more, and it square me up so I can hit it straighter. <laughs> is the biggest gallery you've ever played in front of? Uh, yes, it is. It's, it's very scary. <laughs> it wasn't you? Look pretty nervous. I was. I was really nervous, but um, try to keep calm. <laughs> You hit some good yeah. shots, I mean, and especially the last putt there. You rolled it in, and the crowd's going nuts for you. Yeah, that was a good feeling. That was that was a good feeling. It went in. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Got in. It makes you want to, you know, experience that more, presumably, in later life. Yeah, when I finished the last hole, I just wanted to keep playing. I was like, yeah. oh, but I, I couldn't. So. so you've had a taste of representing Australia already. You just came back yeah. from Hong Kong recently, your first Australian team. What was that yeah. like? That, that was amazing too. It was a great experience playing in a different country, how the ball reacts with like, as in Hong Kong, it's very humid, so the ball didn't go as far and the greens were really grainy. So it was, it was a really good experience that hopefully next time if I get to do another one, that um, I'd be a bit more experienced and 
strategy better. Now, not many kids out there have got direct tips from Greg Norman, so you're, you're one step ahead of the game. Well, congratulations on a fantastic 2017, and we look forward to hearing a lot more of you in the future. Thank you so much. Oh, God. What a, she do, 14, she's got no idea what's happened to her up there, but no. um, she'll obviously, that'll resonate with her for the rest of her life, and she's clearly got a future. There's a big crowd up there, Andy. <laughs> it's some um, She was... I, that smiling question that I asked her, I didn't have it planned. It's just to happen because she's just beaming. She's just that's just one of the great experiences. If you want to be a, a professional golfer, as she does, to have the chance to walk around and play a few holes as, as Greg Norman's partner, she actually yeah, drew drew the shark as her partner against Ponting and David Evans. So, I mean, an incredible experience. And and I think the cameras when Norman started giving her tips down on that third fairway, they're about. 400 cameras just trained on her. You know, it was unbelievable. It was just, it was really good to see. Shark cops a lot of stick for a lot of different things. Uh, and when I mentioned before that uh, some of the interview I had with him was a bit, you know, n- not ideal for this show, perhaps. You know, he's talking about wandering around. This is funny, Andy. You'll like this. He's talking about, I asked him about how he would uh, plan the course in his mind and what's involved in laying out a course because it's just a phenomenal piece of land, some valleys and hills and. Everything and he goes. I would walk up that hill over there, and he's pointing up to this towering peak over the hill. And he goes, I'd sit up there for an hour and a half and just just ponder the world and do just, a few ab crunches. Yeah, <laughs> maybe strip off and get a few Instagram <laughs> photos. I don't know, but it, it's it's a uh, you know as I said, that's not for radio or podcast publication because you can't really See, envisage yeah, what he's talking yeah. about. But he does some really odd things. I don't think that's unfair to say. But he's passionate there. In he's terms pa- of the routing of the golf course. No, no, no. In no, terms no. of like you know what normal people would do. I, I he 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 talks about the first morning of the course. He was out at seven seven thirty with a chainsaw. Um, despite what's happened to him in the past, Blakey with his chainsaw injuries, <laughs> he's had, had a few accidents with that. He has, and he Run-ins. took a chainsaw to a tree up the eighteenth fairway, ripped off a substantial limb, and by I think they said at lunchtime. By lunchtime. That he put that on Instagram, or someone did on his behalf, and it had something like fifty thousand views. You know, he leads a completely abnormal life, oh, no, so no, it's, yeah. it's it's not something that the average Australian, I think, can identify with. But I can say that you know, just in speaking to him, he's he's still proudly Australian, and I think he's just as happy to have spoken to Kay Bannon um, than to do most things. You know, he, he knows the influence he's got, <laughs> and that's that was really good for her. There was a, a quite a amazingly good uh, feature article on Greg in the Australian newspaper about two months ago, which I read, and um, someone in the States, one of their, their journos in the States, went and got to him, and uh, he was saying that he might come back and live in Australia, which surprised me. I, I thought he'd, he'd gone for good, but he said that he and his wife have talked about it and that they might even do that. And just some other amazing things. You know, like he picks up the phone and rings world leaders, I mean world government leaders, uh, on a regular basis. Uh, and and he, he quoted them and he talked about some of the people he spoke to are not coming into my head right now, but you know he's oh, a ra- he's a powerful of, businessman. Yeah, yeah, he is no, a no very powerful businessman. A whole array of U.S. presidents. Mm. Yep. Uh, speaking of uh, Kay Bannon and uh, amateur golf, you're heading off to New Zealand next week. I am. I've um, got a huge opportunity, which I'm very grateful for, to go and watch the Asia Pacific Amateur, which is at Royal Wellington. And just as I'm very pleased to do that. The six guys who are going are very pumped because they reckon they've got one foot in the door at the Masters next year. That's, I mean, and it's also got tickets to the Open Championship as well these days. It's a really 
already big and growing, thriving tournament. So there's six Australians. Um, that includes Dylan Perry, Travis Smythe, Harrison Endicott, uh, all from New South Wales, Shay Woolscob and uh, Charlie Dan from Queensland, and Minwoo Lee from Western Australia. Winner there gets a shot at Augusta, gets a shot at the Green Jacket. Um, it'll, the winner... There's been a couple of entries who might have been good contenders, especially from Japan, who have pulled out for different reasons, okay. uh, which is quite bizarre given what's on offer. I would say the Australians are nominal favourites, uh, Travis Smythe in particular. So high hopes, Andy, because that's, uh, you know, you become world news if you win that tournament because oh, you're on your way to Augusta National. We might talk to some of those boys next week. Absolutely. And if they get to Augusta National, Blakey, they'll get to meet the new chairman. New chairman of Augusta is Fred Ridley, who's, uh, you know, he's been on the on the board of Augusta for a while. He's the 1975 US Amateur Champion. He's the seventh chairman of Augusta National. That, that doesn't particularly interest me. I don't care who's running Augusta, but uh, he's, done who, some, he's done some interviews this week where he talked about protecting the integrity of the course. Obviously, the journos are asking him about that because there's been rumours for a while about the 13th hole at Augusta, par five. It's the best par five in the world, in my opinion. You know, I haven't seen them all, but I can't believe that there'd be a better one than that. But it's becoming, you know, it's only 400 and, I don't know, it might be 510 yards, I think it is. Uh, so they're getting there. They're obviously getting over the creek. Uh, and Bobby Jones, who co-designed the course, said way back in the day that there should be a, a decision made yeah. by the golfer as to whether he goes for the green or not, whereas now there's there's kind of no decision, even though it hooks right round to the left. I think Bubba Watson a few years ago got there with a 9-iron. So uh, they're looking at that. They've bought some land behind the tee on the on the uh, adjoin, adjoining uh, Augusta uh, Country Club. So And he, he didn't back away from that. He said, well, you know, we'll, we'll protect the integrity. So I suspect we're going to have a tee going back at uh, 13 at Augusta, like they've done with a f- quite a few others. So I, thought, you know. I thought you were a big Hootie fan. Hootie Johnson? Yeah. Oh, not particularly. No, I, I, just, <laughs> I just don't care. I'm ambivalent to it. Right. Billy Payne was the previous uh, chairman. <laughs> Those guys normally uh, go out and introduce the, uh, you know, the, the honorary starters and stuff like that. Billy Payne was quite good value. Billy Payne is one of the best speakers I've had the pleasure of hearing. I'd be very surprised, Blakey, if I said Hootie Johnson and Andy didn't sort of tee up a little couple of shots across the bow. <laughs> don't look, you've got me in enough trouble with the President of the United States, all right? I don't need to be taking on the Chairman of Augusta National. Thanks very much. Uh, uh, Scotty and Jason Day are playing this are, week. They're they back, are. back in action. They are, indeed. And there's a big Bridgestone Championship in Japan. Adam Bly had another. He's had a couple of good results up there. Uh, Adam Bland, I should say. A couple of good results in Japan in the last couple of weeks, Blandy. So um, he's too good a player, I reckon. Just naturally too good a player not to really get his teeth, sink his toes into a tour somewhere before offshore here before his career's up. He's just got to get a bit of self-belief, I reckon, and he can get a couple of good results up in Japan. That's one of the you know, real time-honoured events up in that neck of the woods uh, this week as well. And I want to give a big shout-out to Daniel Gale, uh, another player from New South Wales in the amateur ranks who's um, really starting to kick some goals. Won the uh, time-honoured Capera Bowl mm. uh, in Queensland, which is fantastic. Got a huge honour roll, and he's joined it this week. Uh, Daniel Gale, for those who don't know, I think he's 21. Um, great bloke, ripping bloke, and I hope he really is because I'm about to pot him here. So I hope he doesn't bite, come back and bite me, Blakey. But uh, you know, I think by his own confession, once he described himself as a fat, f- a, a fit fatty. 
Right. Carefully. Yeah. What you say yeah, no. Very careful. A fit, a fit fatty when he was 16, 17 years old, and he's weighing close to 100 kilograms. Uh, he's gone away and worked um, just so diligently. It's it's unbelievable. And he's now got a body that you just check out his Instagram. It's unbelievable. Rick Flair, you call no, him? No, Rick, Rick Rude. Oh, Rick, Rick Rude. Rick Rude. Ravishing Rick Rude in the wrestling from the olden days. <laughs> Look for a photo of ravishing Rick Rude. Check out the the abs on him, and that's what we're dealing with with Daniel Gale. So, g'day, Daniel. Hope that hope we're still okay. Uh, no, but he's lost like thirty kilograms. Smashes the ball. One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, and he's finished top five, Andy, in every national ranking event around Australia without a victory. And he's finally got the uh, chocolate. Scroll, so that's I reckon great. this is the one gonna... LPGA, Andy, yeah, is in, is in Taipei that. this week. Uh, Minji Lee threatened to win she last did. week in Korea, ended up finishing, I think, fifth or sixth. Tie six, yeah. Yeah, yep. she's won 915,000 this year, Minji, without winning a tournament. She just uh, can't get over the line. Suo, so, top 30, top 29, I reckon. Yeah, had a good 30, finish, yep, Suo. Yep. That event last week was won by Jin Young Ko of South Korea. Not even an LPGA player. She's just straight off the Korean <laughs> tour, which is like about the second. Best tour in the world. They went one, two, three. The Koreans, unbelievable. It's amazing. It, look, we the we, swing, Jin Young Ko, oh, amazing oh. swing. That's just that. That is one of the most impressive stories in world sport. The rise the, of Kore- women's Korean oh, golf. It, no yeah. doubt about it. Mm. No doubt about it. It is phenomenal what they are doing over there. Just one thing, Andy, before we leave women's golf and probably wrap it up. I uh, saw. So I did read somewhere this morning about Mike Wan was asked up there about his future with the LET, which we had spoken about previously. Yep. Is it going to come together and become sort of a secondary or a tertiary part of the LPGA? Uh, he's stuck a fork in that, at least temporarily, after talks in Korea last week. So LET wants to go it alone for the time being. They reckon they can uh, rustle up enough tournaments to play next year, which good luck to them. I think the tone of the story was by an American journalist was they were kidding themselves. But let's hope that's not the case. They must have something to go by. Um, they're going to basically suspend talks for another six or nine months and see how LET 2018 unfolds. Uh, Hannah Green, by the way, one under through three. Yeah. Hannah Green tied sixth. Excellent. Early on in the opening round of the WA Open. So, uh, And Yui Porter's playing, I noticed. Uh, yeah. Commentator extraordinaire these days. Good man who we threatened to get on the show about four months ago and uh, we just couldn't get a wise. Well, we've got Bruce Devlin coming up too, haven't we, Andy, with the road to the open. We We're looking, looking forward to that we one. What, which year did he win? The, the Australian 1960. Open? 1960, so, you know, that's taking it way back. Before I was even a glint in I my father's I definitely line. didn't cover that one. No. <laughs> uh, that's it. We're probably going a bit over time here, but there's been a lot on the card, and it's great having Greg Chalmers on the program. Um, Hazy, have fun in New Zealand next week. Thanks, Murray. Good on you, Blakey. Good to see you again, see my friend. See you, boys. It's been Inside the Ropes. We'll be back again to do it all next week. Thanks for tuning in.